0: Today's scripture reading, John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23, and Acts 1, 2 through 8. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked with fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Acts 1, 2-8. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the dates that the Father has set in his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth.
1: Amen. Once again, welcome, everybody. Good to have you. So, as has been mentioned, today we are beginning a new series entitled Breathe. And hopefully from our prayer and that reading of Scripture, you can begin to understand why it is entitled Breathe. Often when the Holy Spirit is talked about throughout the text, the words that are used to describe the Spirit are breath or wind or air or in Genesis chapter 1, The wind of God hovers over the surface of the water before creation. And so today, and over the next five weeks, we want to talk about what it looks like to have been breathed on by the Spirit and to inhale with the Spirit. I love to talk about the Holy Spirit with our community. I love to talk about the Holy Spirit together as friends. But there is an interesting trick when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, with a community that is like ours. Because our community is made up of really diverse Christian tradition. You may not know this about the people that are sitting next to you, but they believe some weird things. <laughs> and we are a community of people who come from a real diverse set of histories and traditions and places in life. Some of the folks who are in this room come from Christian traditions with a very high emphasis on encountering the Spirit of God. Traditions like Pentecostalism or charismatic traditions. And those are beautiful, good, healthy traditions that have influenced our thinking and our imagination. And they're present in this room today. And then some of the folks who are in this space come from traditions with a very low emphasis on the Spirit. Maybe a tradition that has great caution around the Spirit, a tradition that is uh, uncertain about how to define or describe or participate in the work of the Spirit, or traditions that take the Spirit in ways that are deeply mysterious and allow the Spirit to live in a mysterious but maybe undefined kind of domain. And all of those traditions, all of those perspectives are present in here, and a whole various slew of additional perspectives that maybe fall somewhere on that spectrum. And the reason I say that as we begin this conversation about the Spirit is that I think it requires of us a deep amount of humility when we have conversations about the Spirit, and a lot of grace for ourselves and one another as we begin to talk about the Spirit. There are certain areas within Christian tradition and faith and theology that can elicit strong reactions, and I think spirit conversations, pneumatology, to use a theologically pointless word in this moment, <laughs> tend to elicit strong reactions from us. And so I want to just begin by saying, let us have great humility as we enter into this conversation. Let's do it open-handed. Let's have a lot of grace for one another. That's the nature of talking about God at all. A bunch of finite people trying to express and describe the infinite. We are wandering into a world beyond grammar or syntax. Let's recognize it as such and be humble and gracious to one another. We are all on a bit of a journey as we talk and discover and understand what life with the Spirit looks like. And when I say that we're all on a bit of a journey, I mean that like we are all in this together. I I am not, like, figured out spirit life, and I'm telling you what life in the spirit looks like. My own understanding, my own thinking, maybe I should say my own imagination about what the spirit is up to in the world has shifted so radically over the last handful of years. I am one of those people in this room that falls on a diverse spectrum of traditions and experiences. I grew up in a tradition with a high emphasis on emotionally encountering the spirit. It was beautiful, it was good, there was lots of things that I loved about it, And then when I went to Bible college, I went to a college that uh, only really believed in two members of the Trinity, Jesus and the Father. And we didn't really know what to do with the Spirit. And that was from really thoughtful and intelligent and wise people. And so as I got through college, I was like, oh, what do I do with the Spirit? Like thoughtful, brilliant, intelligent, humble leaders on all sides of this conversation had influenced and spoken into my life. And it left me with a ton of questions and uncertainty about the Spirit. And then, honestly, over the last maybe like four or five years, my imagination for what Spirit is doing has so shifted and changed. I think a lot of it comes from leading and entering into and coming on the other side of difficult moments. COVID-19, different leadership things that we had to deal with here as a community, different crisis that happened in our own life, and coming to the end of it and being like, I don't know how we made it. As we entered into those seasons and came out of those seasons, my sense of dependence on the Spirit really changed. I was recently invited to talk at a conference, and the question was, why is Missio cool? That was, not the que- that was not the question. That's how I understood the question. So that's the assignment that I did. Uh, but I, this was my whole talk was this. I don't know. The Spirit of God showed up and did things beyond my understanding. And all the things that I feel most proud of or most thankful for in this community, the things I feel most excited about, at the end of the day I have to be like, they happened not because of me and often despite me. They happened because I think the Spirit of God is at work in our community unraveling, changing, transforming, energizing, and birthing something new. So my own imagination has shifted. So when I say we are on a journey, we are on a journey together, discovering humbly walking forward and learning together what life in the Spirit looks like. And so in light of that, my goal is that over the next five weeks, as we begin to talk about life with the Spirit, that we would be less like in the the big domain of like a huge theological conversation and more in the domain of what does it practically look like for us to live life with the Spirit. Now, we'll talk about frameworks. We'll talk about theology, especially today. We're going to try to establish some big foundational ideas. But over the next couple of weeks, the goal is to get practical because I think that is the most tricky part of having conversations about Spirit is that most of us believe the Spirit is at work in the world? Most of us believe that the Spirit is moving or speaking or saying things to us or doing something around us. But I think it gets hard to answer the question what do we do with that? How do we listen? How do we discern? How do we pay attention? How do we partner and participate in the life of the Spirit? So over the next handful of weeks, that is the goal. How do we discern, participate, and partner with the Spirit who is at work in us? And we're going to start today by just laying some foundational pieces, big ideas that might help us frame this conversation up. So I have four ideas that I want to work through quickly with you. And in the weeks to come, we'll get more practical. So let's just jump right into it. Idea number one. The Spirit of God is continuing the work of Jesus. In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And he begins to tell them, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I won't leave you alone. I'm going to send to you the companion, the advocate, the comforter, the guide, the Holy Spirit who will come to you. And he says three different things that I want to read to you in succession just because they're so interesting. In John 14, verse 26, Jesus says this, the companion, or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Spirit will teach you everything that I have told you, will remind you of what I've said, will show you the inner workings of my teaching. In John 15, 26, Jesus says this to his disciples, when the companion comes, which I also, I love the word companion. It evokes this image of someone coming alongside of you. When the companion comes, who I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will testify about me. So the Spirit will teach you the things that I've said. The Spirit will remind you of the things that I have told you, don't worry about forgetting it. The Spirit who is active and alive will show you and also will witness to you and testify and make me known in your life. And then in John 16 verse 14, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, will glorify me because he will take what is mine and proclaim it. To you, Everything that the Father has is mine. That's why I said the Spirit takes what is mine and will proclaim it to you. The Spirit will teach, testify, and proclaim to you about me. This is a simple truth, but it has profound implications for how we understand what the Spirit is doing The Spirit is continuing the work of Jesus. The Spirit is on the same mission as Jesus, teaching, testifying, and proclaiming. Jesus says, pray for the kingdom, and the Father will give you the Spirit. When Jesus enters into the wilderness, he's led by the Spirit. When he comes out, he begins to proclaim the gospel in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is on the same mission, the same work, the same agenda as Jesus. So if we want to know what the Spirit is doing, if we want to know how to discern what the Spirit is accomplishing, well, then we look to Jesus. Jesus is like the lens that we get to put on to help us understand what is happening in the world of the Spirit. And this is true of all of our faith. This is an important thing to just say again and again, that we always look to Jesus as the cornerstone, as the foundation for how do we understand anything that's playing out in our faith. You want to read the Bible? Well, look to Jesus. You want to know who God is? Look to Jesus. The text tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what it looks like to be a disciple? Oh, look to Jesus who says, follow me. And what do we see when we look at Jesus? We see the other-oriented, sacrificial, loving God who has entered the world to pursue us to its further reaches. And so we want to know what the Spirit is doing and who the Spirit is. We look to Jesus. And that same other-oriented, sacrificial love that we see displayed in Jesus is the work of the Spirit around us. The Spirit is on that same kingdom-oriented, other-oriented, loving mission that Jesus is on. So the Spirit is continuing the work of Jesus. Number two, The Spirit is empowering you and I to participate in the life of Jesus. The text that we had read for us this morning is from John 20, verse 22 through 23. It's this wild moment, if you pay attention to what's just said. The text says this, Then he breathed on them, Jesus, onto his disciples, which would be weird in and of its own sense. Come here. (sighs) Ah! And said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then pay attention to what he says right here. This is crazy. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. What? That's crazy. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. In the same way, in Acts 1-8, which Julie also read for us this morning, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth, testifying about all that I have done. Those are crazy things to say. Those are participating in the work of Jesus kinds of things to say. I don't know if you remember, there's this moment when Jesus heals a paraplegic man who's been lowered through the roof in the house, if anybody remembers this story. And before Jesus heals them, Jesus is like, hey, your sins are forgiven. That's the thing that all the religious leaders get mad about. And then he heals them. And in this moment, Jesus is like, guess what? I'm inviting my followers, my disciples to participate in the most intimate part of the work that I am doing in the world in extending my life and my purpose and my kingdom and my good news story to the ends of the world. You have been invited into that, empowered to do that wherever you are, whoever you are. (sighs) Go forgive. (laughs) What a wild thing. The Spirit is continuing the work of Jesus in the world, making it concrete, making it real, making it present in the midst of us, and is empowering and partnering and companioning alongside of us so that we too can participate in the most intimate, nearest, closest, present kind of work that Jesus is doing in the world, that we can be a part of that same work and life. And that's true missionally, like as we think about engaging the world around us. But Paul says in Galatians that the Spirit of Jesus has come upon us so that we can call God Father just like Jesus. So it's like missional, it's personal, it's intimate. The Spirit has come to incorporate us into the very life of Jesus. To come alongside of us. To partner with us to breathe new life in us and to help us join in that new life work in the world around us. What a wild story. The Spirit is continuing Jesus' work and the Spirit is empowering us to continue Jesus' work. And that leads to idea number three. The Spirit comes to all people in all places, at all times, regardless of the cultural boundaries and the distinctions that we would often like to place there. When Pentecost actually arrives, and the Spirit falls on the 120 that are gathered in the upper room, the disciples leave that upper room, and they begin to go teach and preach, and people hear their own languages, and it's this amazing moment. And to explain it, the Apostle Peter gets up and begins to teach and to help people understand what's happening. And to do that, he quotes the prophet Joel. This is what he says from that moment. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy. Your young will see vision. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. The Spirit falls on all people. That's actually what makes this moment so marvelous. Because in the ancient world and in the Old Testament itself, Spirit was a privilege reserved for a few. Kings were anointed and to lead in the Spirit. Priests were anointed to lead in the Spirit. They got to enter into the temple and mediate God's presence. Sometimes prophets were anointed in the Spirit. But there was a select few folks who got this kind of experience. But then there's this prophet right at the end of the Old Testament in Joel that begins to say, hey, one day, this will not be a privilege reserved for a few. This will not just be given to the elite. It won't just be given to those who are specially called. It won't just be given to those who seem educated or right or who are born in the right families. No, 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 no. This is going to fall on all people. It's going to upend all of the distinctions that you have drawn. It's going to change everything. Men and women, servants, the young, the old, everyone will get to taste the Spirit. Everyone will get to participate in my work. Everyone will get access to what I am doing. The Spirit of God comes and democratizes the kingdom of God, making it available to everyone, everywhere. The Spirit takes what was the purview of a few and makes it the power of the many. After Pentecost, everyone has access to the life of Jesus. Everyone is called. Everyone is empowered. This is a really beautiful moment that we'll look at later in the series in 1 Corinthians where Paul starts to talk about what it looks like to receive gifts from the Spirit. And it's very easy when you're reading that chapter 12, 13, and 14, those chapters, to get focused on the kinds of gifts that are being given. you get like prophecy and words of knowledge, and you're like, what is this? I don't know. This is crazy. And it's really worth paying attention to. But again, maybe the most marvelous thing that is happening in that passage is everybody is getting a gift. You get a gift. You get a gift. And you get a gift. Everybody gets a gift. There's not just a few select prophets over here or a few select priests over here or a few select people who get to lead over here. Everybody is receiving the gifts of the Spirit, which is totally changing the dynamics of this community called the church that is invited and empowered to extend God's work here. Spirit enables access for all. 1 Peter says, we are all a priesthood of believers. I am not closer than you are. You are not closer than I am. We are all gifted. We all have access to one spirit. We are all participants in one body. This is one of the ways in which the spirit is participating in the work of Jesus, by creating a community where those artificial hierarchies that are so often culturally imposed are torn down. Where we come to the table, we take our seats together as equals, and we partner together through the Spirit for Jesus. The Spirit is poured on all peoples, it invites all peoples to participate. And that leads to number four the Spirit energizes the life of the church. Energizes may not be the only word to use here, but it was the one that came to my mind. You could also say the spirit disrupts the life of the church. The spirit startles the life of the church. I like that word. It's spooky. The spirit challenges the life of the church. The spirit renews the life of the church. And I want to read you, this is a quote. It's a bit of an extended quote, but I think it's very beautiful from one of my favorite theologians, a person by the name of Stanley Hauerwas, that I think just beautifully illustrates what we've said, And what we're naming in this fourth big idea, the Spirit energizes the church. Here's what Wass says. The Spirit that gave life at creation, that breathed life into Adam, is the same Spirit that came on those gathered at Pentecost. And the same Spirit who breathed new life into the dry bones of Israel is the same Spirit at work in the world, gathering into the church those who once knew not the name of Jesus. And the same Spirit that drove the fledgling church in Acts towards Gentiles is the Spirit that today makes settled, introverted congregations uneasy with the way they have limited the work of the Spirit to the care and internal maintenance and safekeeping of the church. I love that. The Spirit energizes, disrupts, or startles the people of God to participate in the life And work of Jesus. As you read the book of Acts and you watch the Spirit arrive in power, every single time the Spirit shows up, the church is disrupted and energized out of its comfort zone and into life with Christ. So in Pentecost, when the Spirit arrives, we often miss this, the first thing that happens is a bunch of ethno-nationalist Jewish elitists begin to speak other people's languages. It's a wild moment for them. And a group of 120 people who had been meeting in the upper room all of a sudden leave the upper room and include 3,000 different people into the community of faith. If you keep reading in Acts, the Spirit comes to a man named Philip who is walking on the road, and it leads him into an encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch who would have been the furthest person in a Jewish man's mind from the kingdom. And yet, he's included. As you keep reading, Peter has an encounter with the Spirit of God. It's in a vision that's cool and amazing. And that vision then leads him into an encounter with Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion who would have been considered Peter's enemy. And Cornelius and his family are included in the body of Christ. The Spirit shows up and disrupts the ideologies, the boundaries, the artificial hierarchies that we have so often built to lead us into an encounter with what God is doing all around us and in the world around us so that we might live and look and establish a people that is actually in line with Jesus. I think when we read these stories about the Spirit, we tend to focus, at least this has been true of me, we tend to focus on the like spiritual encounter part of these stories. So the tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2 or the vision for Cornelius. And those are worthy things to talk about and to pay attention to. And we should pay attention to them, but we should pay equal, if not more attention, to what happens after that moment. Because to every spiritual encounter is an incarnational expression of God's love. Spirit moves, and material, social, Communal life is impacted. Spirit arrives and ideologies and boundaries are disrupted. Spirit arrives and hierarchies are overthrown. Spirit arrives and Gentiles are included in the body of faith. These encounters with God's presence lead to something incarnational, something social, something kingdom. I think this is why in 1 Corinthians 13, that, that conversation about gifts that Paul is having in Corinthians, he talks about all these gifts, he says they're beautiful, they're good, they're right, the Spirit's doing these amazing things, but then he says right at the end of chapter 12, the greatest of all of these things is love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, having this conversation about gifts, Paul says this, he says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And he goes on to say, the greatest of these is love. So, this is 14 verse 1, follow the way of love. Paul's point is that gifts, spiritual encounters, spiritual experiences with the Spirit are good. But they are means towards love. They are not ends in and of themselves. The Spirit is always continuing the work of Jesus, inviting us to participate in the work of Jesus. The gifts, the encounter, that is not the end in and of itself. It is always moving us to be a community and people of love. The purpose, the reason, the end is always the way of Jesus. So Paul says, it's good, desire gifts, desire these spiritual encounters, but above all things, pray for love, pursue love, and all these things will be added unto you. The ultimate work of the Spirit is the work of love, forming us into the image and likeness of Jesus to which all these other things serve. So, Mr. Here's what we have. The Spirit is on Jesus' mission to empower and energize all of us. Every single one of us, no matter what story has been told about us, no matter what narrative has been written over us, in energizing and empowering all of us to participate in the way, the life, and the work, and the love of Jesus. What if we believed that? What if we believed that? I wonder how much more we would pay attention to what's happening around us, what's happening in the lives of those around us. I wonder if we would speak the truth, serve, pray, love our neighbor, protest injustice, seek good with more courage. I wonder if for some of us it just might take some weight off our shoulders, if it might make us just feel a bit less alone as we try this thing out. I can't answer that question for everybody here, but what if we believe that? In a second, I'm going to close us with a prayer. And as I do, I just want you to hold that question in you. Why do you believe that? What might happen in your own life? how might your practice, your life, your beliefs, your rest your work how might it begin to shift and to change? And as you think about that question, I just want to read over you uh, an old prayer that I just think really beautifully sums up what we've said today and as I pray this prayer over you, would you begin to wrestle with those questions and then we'll close and come to the table and continue worshiping together. So let me just pray this prayer over us today as we move on. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love? Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.